Welcome. So glad to see each one of you here this evening as we've gathered uh, during the middle of the week to uh, come into God's presence, to study his word and to worship him and give thanks. You know, the Bible tells us that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness and that he's given us the ability to live as he's uh, asked us to live and he's blessed us and he's a good God all the time. And so this morning or this evening, whatever time it is this evening, thought it would be good if we began our more evening to uh, give thanks to God. So I invite you to stand and let's uh, give thanks to our God this evening. This is the day that you have made. Whatever comes, I won't complain. For my hope is in your name. And now your joy awaits my praise. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. When I was down, you brought me out and set my feet on solid ground. So here I stand. You are my God, your faithfulness, my solid rock. I give thanks for all you have done, and I will speak of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing, Lord, I am grateful. I give thanks for all you have done, and won't forget all the you have won your love is unfailing Lord I am grateful and as we lift our hands the heavens open heavens open so let our lives We uh, 
We have a very special time tonight that, that is part of our journey. In our lives, we have different momentous occasions. There are there's times when um, we celebrate a new life. There are times when we celebrate marriage and, and through baptism and, and all of these different things. And one of those times is to be able to bring our children before the Lord and to be able to dedicate them. And so we have a baby dedication that we want to perform today or tonight with you. And when we take a look at baby dedications, we have to look and say, okay, well, why do we do them? And, and is it biblical? And the answer is absolutely yes. We don't uh, baptize children because baptism in itself is an outward confession. And so you have an inward transformation when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is a, a cognitive decision. When you know that you've sinned, and that you know that you need to be forgiven, and you confess that sin before God, and He forgives you, gives you His Spirit, you're born again, and then as that outward confession, then you're baptized, following the model that Jesus set, to be immersed in water, and, and to come out of the water just as Jesus went into the tomb and came out. So we do that only for those that are adults. But for children... What we do is we follow the Old Testament example of Hannah, who in 1 Samuel had really wanted to have children, and she was unable to have children. She was actually very sad because having children was really an honorable thing in biblical times. And if you didn't have children, then you were thought to be accursed. And so Hannah was suffering from this, this feeling of being felt like she was less than. And so she would go to the Lord and she would pray and within that and say, God, help me. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, it says, Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. And now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she greatly was distressed, praying to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant, remember me, not forget me, your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall not come upon his head. And so in this, she prays to God for the blessing of a child. Well, within that, it was misunderstood by, by Samuel, who was sitting there thinking, well, she was, she was out of her mind, that perhaps she was drunk, and she wasn't. She was just in this place of, of great, great depression. Well, as the account goes later on, Hannah has a baby. She has Samuel. And the Lord had blessed her with this child, and according to her promise, she would take the child and raise him, wean him, and then offer him back to the Lord. We find this in... Verse 21, it says, Then the man Elkanah went up with his household to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice, pay his vow. <clears throat> but Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you and remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. And so the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. 
And when he was weaned, she took him up with her three-year-old bull, one ephah of flour and a jug of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And although the Lord was in, in, although the child was young, and then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there together with her. So, when we look at, at a child dedication, basically what we're acknowledging, one, is that children are a gift of God. They are not ours. They belong to the Lord. The Lord gives children to us to raise, to be able to nurture, to strengthen, and prepare them for their future in the ministry or whatever it is that the Lord has for them. And so Hannah had decided that, that Samuel was going to be as unto the Lord, as was, and, and, and just the blessing of motherhood was so important to her. She followed through with that blessing, and so she brought Samuel to Eli and turned him over to the service of the Lord. And so today, we have a young child, a young girl, Maisie, who came and visited me this morning and played with all the toys in the office, and, which is really cool because I got toys in the office. And Caitlin and Travis are here to dedicate their daughter Maisie to the Lord. So if you guys want to come up, and whoever else wants to pray over you, it could be moms and dads. I know godparents are here. You guys can come up. You can come up here, Travis. We don't bite. Hey, Maisie. Hi. Hi. So let's see if she'll come to me today. She did this morning. Hi, sweetheart. How you doing? There's mom. And there's dad. And we're going to do this. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray over Maisie right now. So I'm going to ask that you stand. And just join with me in praying over them. And we're just going to pray blessings over them and pray over Maisie. So Father, we thank you. We thank you for this family. We thank you for Travis and... And Caitlin, and just the the blessing of them coming together, Lord, I know that their their family is uh, unique in that it's a blended family, and in what you're putting together is a one family. That there would be no division amongst them, that there would be blessings upon them. And now that Maisie has come into their life, Lord, we ask that you would guide her steps for Travis. May he. Be the provider, the guardian for the home, the spiritual leader of the house. They got all his days that he would look out for both girls and his wife, and that you would sanctify their house unto you. For Caitlin, Lord, I pray that you would give her a heart of compassion and understanding, a heart of love to be able to nurture and strengthen the family. For Maisie, Lord, we know that you've set her steps in, your, in a path that's set for her. May you raise her up to be that, that godly woman. Lord, we know that as a young child, even now, you know every step along the way. So we pray over Maisie. We ask blessings upon her. Lord, may you keep her. May your face shine upon her. God, may you be gracious to her. And in all her days, and may 
she grow up to that ministry you have for her. We thank you and we praise you for her in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Can I get a hug before you go? (laughs) Yes. Now we're going to look at all the people. There she is. Oh, you want to go over there? There's the iPad. Okay, so Maisie is going to teach us Philippians 1. No. Okay. And this is for you, Travis. Okay. Thank you. Let me pray for our service and, and we'll continue in worship and then study of God's Word. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for all that you've blessed us with. And, and the reason why we're here is to be able to raise up the next generation of the church, to, to reach out to the least and the lost and the marginalized. As Maisie is such a reminder of that next generation, we pray over VBS and asking God that for all the kids that are coming, <clears throat> that they will be uh, trained according to your word, that they'll be equipped with the armor of God as we'll be studying. But tonight, God, we're asking for your presence. We ask that you would be here in this place, that you'd be honored by everything that's said and done, and Holy Spirit, may you take charge of the service time. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand again and let's continue to worship our God. the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is shutting in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause he hung upon that cross. And he rose up from that grave, my God still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet, we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord, our God is shining in this place. We won't be quiet, we shout out your praise. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. We were the beggars, 
of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise.
blessing ever blessed, fountain of the joy of living, ocean depth of happiness. You are the one who saves, you are the one who saves, you are the one whose hands lift us from the grave. You are the light of Everlasting day, you are the one who takes all our sins away. You are the one who takes all our sins away. You are the one who takes all our sins away.
Thank you for the work that you're doing in us. Now, Holy Spirit, we desire that you would teach us this evening as we open your word and put our faith and our trust in you so that we can be more and more like Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we continue our study in the Bible, if you would open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. And uh, I was blessed that Tom was able to finish up Ephesians last week. And as we continue on, we're going to continue on moving through um, our studies. One of the things that I want to uh, just encourage you with, I had the opportunity this last week to go up to northern Idaho, visit the family in a big family reunion, visit a church. And the church where my mother-in-law goes, the Baptist church up there, is looking at joining us to go to Israel. So just a reminder, if, you, if you're still considering going on the trip to Israel, there's still openings and opportunities. It's not too late to sign up to do that. We have uh, flyers out on the back counter for you that you can check out. And it, I mentioned that because on Sunday we're going to be starting a new study in the book of Joshua. And it's all about conquering Canaan and, how, and the lessons that we will learn uh, through Joshua's life and living... Uh, a, a life of victory in taking that. So we're going to be starting that on Sunday. But tonight, we're going to be taking a look at Paul's letter to the church of Philippi. And the key verse to this, this whole letter, it's a small prison epistle that we'll take a look at, is Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. It says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To be in that place where you are so focused on Jesus is, is essential for victorious living, to be able to have Christ first. And as we look at this letter for Paul, there are some things that we need to do to be able to familiarize ourselves with this letter to the church of Philippi, to understand and over October we went into Asia, we went and saw the seven churches of Asia and saw the steps of Paul. But one of the things that, um, that we saw, if we can bring that map up, is Philippi, 
if I can get my pointer work. There it is. Philippi is here in the land of Macedonia. And Jerusalem is right here. Now, these are the church, this area is the seven churches of Asia. Paul would have gone out of Jerusalem into Ephesus, and then he would have gone across this land of Troas to Philippi. Thessalonica, Berea is right here. But he's writing the letter from Rome, where he's sitting in prison. And so these are all, this whole area is the place where the church, the Gentile church, was growing. To give you an idea of what it was, Philippi was the capital at one time of the Grecian Empire. And it was an amazing city. It was well known for its gold and for its timber, for the, the seaports that was there. Um, it was conquered by Rome and then became a Roman-style city. One of the things that we're going to see when we go to Israel is we're going to see some of the Roman-style colonnades that are there in a town called Jerash. Jerash is probably the most complete Roman-style cities of the Decapolis area that is there. Pillars that are huge. Amphitheater unto Zeus. This amphitheater in Jerash is amazing. The architecture in Roman culture was, is mind-blowing. You can sit in this amphitheater and stand in the center of this amphitheater, this big amphitheater, and whisper. And the people at the top rows will hear you. They, they, they have this design that is set up where it echoes and, and carries the sound forward. So when we talk about a Roman-style city, it was the elite of styles of cities that would go. And so Paul was there in Philippi. In fact, he started the church um, in 51 A.D., and you can read about the whole way it got started in the book of Acts, it, starting with Acts 16 and kind of wandering through that whole chapter in Acts. You can see how this church of Philippi had come into play. Paul was put in prison in Rome in 60 to 62 A.D., so the church had been around for a little bit. It was If Paul had a favorite of the churches, Philippi would be it. Philippi was one of his favorites. Uh, he, he saw great things that were there. Philippi had a very small Jewish population, and so it was mostly Gentiles. They didn't have a Jewish synagogue. Um, in fact, they needed at least ten Jewish men to even have a synagogue, and they didn't even have that. But you're going to be familiar with Philippi because Lydda was there. And within this, Lydia was a wealthy merchant that had dry, uh, dyed goods and cloths and the women would get together and, and she was actually the start of the church within this. There was a, also a, a, an event with a demonic, um, a demon-possessed man in, in the town and Paul had to deal with that. So there was a lot of occultic practices. There was a lot of idolatry and, and such things that were going on within this. Remember, the Roman Empire was very um, polytheistic. Many, many different gods. And when you mess around with all of these idols, these are all gateways for demonic activity. You open up the door, and you know, I always tell um, people, if you play with Satan's toys, he's going to want to play too. And so when they brought all these idols in and the idolatry that was going on, it opened the door for all this demonic activity and, and, and such things. And so Paul would cast out the demons 
of this gal who was walking around saying, you're Saul. And her masters were making money off her and said, no, stop it. And they got mad at him and ran him out. They hauled Saul and Silas out to the city magistrates, threw him in jail. And if you remember what happened in the jail, they got thrown in jail. And at midnight they were singing. And what happened to the doors? Sprung open. And the jailer, the Philippian jailer comes in and he says, oh no, and he's ready to kill himself. Paul says, stop, stop, don't do it, don't kill yourself. We're here. Nobody's left. Can you imagine the influence of Paul on all the people in jail? Prison's doors are open, and not one of them leave. Philippian jailers flipped out. He's like, this is amazing. How is it that you have such great power in all of these things? And he bows his knee to the Lord. He and his household get saved within that. The next day, though, within that account in Acts 16, the magistrates learned all of this, and then they begged Saul, or Paul, leave. Please, just, just go away. You're scaring us. But within this, he would be able to grow the church. And out of all the churches, the Philippian church was probably the model of what evangelism can do with one person who comes to faith and the power of God to transform life upon life upon life upon life upon life. Within that. And so the church grew and grew and grew. You say, well, great, Carrie, that was the perfect church. Can I join it? Uh, no. Number one, there is no such thing as a perfect church. There is no perfect church. All churches have flaws, and even Philippi had a flaw. One of the things that Paul will address in this letter is one of the flaws between this, this contention between two women. And I know women never fight and they never bicker. But these two gals in a home study named Eudike, Eudike, <laughs> Eudia and Syneche got together and they were bickering and complaining. And Paul, in his letter, is going to address that and what was going on. Because one of the challenges to any church or church family is disunity or bickering within that. And the, and the, the, the church is no different than a, any normal family, we can get to a place where we get on each other's nerves, but we should never break over the essentials. There should always be unity. And so Paul is going to address this. The other thing that Paul had that we'll see also in chapter 3, not tonight but later on, is the outside oppression. So there's two ways that Satan will attack a church. He'll attack the church from within and create dissension and division so it divides and splits. And then the other way he attacks is he brings people from the outside. There was a group of people called Judaizers that didn't like Paul, following him around and saying, Paul's not really an apostle and he's not teaching all of the truth. And so in chapter 3, Paul has to address those and he calls them literally dogs, evil workers, and false circumcision or cutters, and later enemies of the cross. Now imagine all this is going on. Paul is sitting in Rome, chained to a Roman uh, guard. And what's on his mind? His church family in Philippi and in Colossae. What was going on? Because he can't go 
be with them. Have you ever been in a place where you really cared for people and you wanted to be there to help them and you weren't able to be there because of distance? It just kept you out of that, kind of kept you away? Well, you know, they couldn't text or call or any of these things, so they would send, he would send a letter. And in this letter, he's writing pastorally how to take care of them because Paul was an apostle of Jesus. He was a pastor, an evangelist, a church planner, a servant of God, and now a prisoner. And his heart was really for the church. These were his people that he is invested in. And so I want to, as we read through this and we take a look at this, and we're just going to do chapter 1 tonight, not even all of chapter 1. Paul's letters is meant to be a letter. Chapter numbers and verses were put in later. And so we're only going to go to verse 26 tonight because that's really where the natural break is here in Philippians and see what Paul has to say to the church. But really, it is about how we can find that great joy in this, especially if we can't be with the people that we want to have that that time with. So let's let's dive right in. in Philippians chapter 1. We'll take a look at the introduction. Philippians 1, 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from our Lord, or from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this was a Pauline introduction. He writes the letters in a greeting, just like you would normally write a letter. And, and you would start without an introduction or a greeting within this. Notice he addresses it, Paul and Timothy. Timothy is not with him, but he's, he's there in spirit. They would know Timothy because Timothy would be with him, but he starts out with this word, bondservant. Now, if you would say to somebody, I'm writing, this is, this is Carrie, a slave. I am your slave. Slaves don't have a really good frame of reference today. Nobody wants to be called a slave today. It's not something that, that is is desirable within that. If you were to say, you know, will you be my slave? They'll say, no, what are you kidding? But the word doulos means bond slave, or, or it's a slave in a sense, and you could be a doulos or a slave by choice, or you could be made to be a slave, and it basically means being controlled by someone or something else. So when we look at verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of who? Man? No, Christ Jesus. Paul considered himself a servant under the control of Jesus. So he's writing this letter. This is Paul, a servant under the control of Jesus. And I got to thinking about this. We all, every human being, is a slave to somebody. You say, well, I'm not a slave to anybody. Oh, yeah, you are. You're either born into slavery and you're a slave to sin and Satan. Or you're reborn, born again, and you're a slave to Christ, born again. Because it's the condition that you're born into. It's a permanent condition. And so Paul, as he's he's writing this, brings up this topic of uh, this idea of slavery. And within this. Now, we were all born into sin, slaves to sin. Because when I want to do the right thing, I don't do it. When I don't want to do the, 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 the wrong thing, I end up doing it. Well, what is that? That's slavery. You're bound to it. 
So how, are, how is that, that chain broken? It's only broken by Jesus. When he breaks that bondage of sin and he sets us free, now we are free slaves to Christ. It is our response, our natural response of gratitude. Biblical times when you wanted to serve your master and you wanted to serve your master as a free slave, after you were set free, you would go to the doorpost and you'd stick your earlobe on the doorpost. Everybody thinks that body piercing is a modern thing. It isn't. Go to the doorpost and they grab it all and they drive it through your earlobe and they put a ring in it. And everybody would know that you were a slave by choice. That you were a free slave. And so in that, we are born again into a new relationship with Christ. One that, that lives. Not a slave to sin or death. And, and so that's the second birth. Romans 6.22 says, But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, benefit of what? Of being a slave, resulting in sanctification. What is sanctification? Being set apart for God's holy purposes. And the outcome of eternal life. What does that mean? It means that you were set free to enjoy blessing and eternal life. Well, I kind of like that kind of slavery. To be able to be in that place. And so, when we think about people in the world today, if you were to mention slavery, they say, I don't want to be a slave. I can tell you this, I do want to be a slave. Slave to Christ. Because he is the good, good master. And he is only looking out for my best interests and provides everything that I need and will guide me. I would rather be spirit-controlled than demonic-controlled. But you're only in one of two, two places. And to be, you're either a slave to Satan and sin or, or, or to Jesus in eternal life. And that's really true freedom is when you have eternal life. And God says, I give you everything for life and that much more abundantly. So Paul says, I am a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Not a bad thing, a good thing. The people he's addressing to all the saints there in, in Philippi, notice though, he says, to all the saints, which are the the Christians, those that are set apart for God's holy purpose, and the overseers and the deacons. Now, why would he put in overseers and deacons? Why does he doesn't write just like all Christians? Because this is a instructional pastoral letter. The overseers or the episcopos are the teaching elders. The the deacons, the diaconos, they are the serving elders. So this tells us that in Philippi, there is now a structure to the church. So you have the congregation and the spiritual leaders. And he's writing this letter so that they'll know how to correct some of the problems, but also know how to take care of the people. And what does he offer them? Well, just like for Maisie, he offers grace and peace. A blessing. What is grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's a gift. Grace. So when you impart grace on somebody, you're imparting a gift, a blessing. And you're blessing them. It's an expression of love in Oriental culture. Grace was this expression that would result in peace with that. And, it's, and so what you're saying is, may peace be on you. May God's grace be upon you. And so he opens this letter. He says, basically this. I'm Paul. I'm a bondservant of Christ. I'm here with Timothy. In our hearts, we want to be there with you. We can't. 
We love you guys. And then he goes into his address, the opening address in verses 3 through 11, where he says, And when I think about you, I am full of thanksgiving and joy. So last week I got to spend time with, as I said, with family. I was up in Idaho in the 60th. And it's the first time in, in a bit of time when all four of my kids and all five of my grandkids were all together. And I realized... That's not my place. My place is now sitting back because I watch them as adults, married adults with their kids and all the cousins playing together. And I sat there and I went, they make me happy. One reason they made me happy was they weren't fighting. They were all getting along. And watching the grandkids play in this, this dirt pile was just amazing. Be able to sit there and watch these these kids that are five and seven and 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 five was well, two five year olds a seven year old and a nine year old doing mud angels. And I look over at the parents and they're like, "What are you doing?" And I'm going, "I love being a grandparent. <laughs> Not my problem. Thank you, God." Well, you think about this. There are three attributes in here. There's joy and confidence and hope that Paul lays out in verses 3 through 11. Listen for the attributes in 3 through 11. I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it's only right for me to feel this way about you, all because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of the grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you, all the affections of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He's sitting back in this, this prison and he says, okay, I'm thinking about the believers in Philippi. And he can see their faces. He can see there. And he takes a minute. And these emotions of joy... Joy for what? Fellowship. The word fellowship, koinonia, means to have in common. I am having great joy. Why? Because we have in common one faith. The confidence in God's ability of this very thing, He who began a good work in you will complete it. And as hope, I pray that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and discernment. Paul thinks about this church and has joy. You're a parent or a grandparent. And you think about those times when you get your kids together. And in and, and those moments, you're filled with joy. Why? Because you've shared an event. You've shared a Christmas or a birthday or, or a baby dedication or such things. But the most important thing that brings Paul joy in this is not a specific event. But it's the common faith based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no greater joy to a parent to know that their kids that their kids have put their faith and trust in Jesus. There's no greater joy 
to a parent or a grandparent to know that as their kids grow up in the Lord, that they're walking with the Lord, that they're that they're seeking God on their own, that they're maturing. It is great sadness to a parent or a grandparent when a child walks away from the Lord and they no longer have the basis of a faith for that point of fellowship. When they become disobedient, it brings great sadness. And for Paul, he's looking at this whole city and he says, you are the fruit of evangelistic ministry and we have this, this common faith. That is there. I love to pray with my kids. I love to pray with my grandkids. To be able to, to read the Bible together. To be able to, to share God's truth with them. But I also know some parents and grandparents that don't have that privilege and that benefit. To be able to do that. And it brings great sadness. It's the gospel that binds us together in faith within that. And even though Paul was in chains, he had joy. Even though he was in chains and his circumstances were bad, he found joy. What did he find joy in? The gospel and what the gospel was doing to the people that he couldn't be with. It was changing them. See, life is more than just living. It's really living in God's kingdom. Romans chapter 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's really the kingdom of God. And to be able to look beyond the situation. James would write this, Count it all joy, brothers, when you go through various trials. And a bit later, Paul would write to the church in Philippi and encourage them not to lose heart. In fact, in Philippians 2.2, 2, it says this, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, mandating the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. For Paul, he's, he's looking at this in light of the contention, and he says, it is not bringing me joy when you guys fight. Does it bring you joy when your family doesn't get along? No. And he's trying to bring them back to the, the gospel. The second level is confidence. Confidence is the very thing. He who began a good work in you will complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. This is a powerful verse. You know what's super powerful about this? It's not about what you think you can do. It's all about what God will do. Many of you in this room or maybe watching online have started a faith journey and a walk and have stumbled along the way. Maybe even turn your back on God for a period of time. And I've gotten to a place where you go, God, I have screwed this up so bad. How are you ever going to fix this? How are you ever going to do this? And Paul says, no. I've got great confidence. He, being God, who began a good work, what's the good work, the transformation in you, will perfect it. It is a process of perfecting. That's your sanctification he will continue the work until that work is finished. Which is amazing to me because it doesn't matter how much energy you put into trying to be perfect. You'll never make it. Only God will make you perfect. And He's doing it. It's a confidence. The Greek word is patheo. It means to be persuaded. I am fully persuaded. 
that gives them this hope. Salvation is only God's work. I want you to think about this. If God began the good work, and He did, what did He do? I got five things, six things. God, in His grace, chose you before you even knew who He was. He began that work. God, in His mercy, forgave you even before you asked for it. God's love holds you even when you squirm and try to run away from Him. God's power changes you even though you don't like it. God's will completes you, makes you perfect, even though you don't feel like you're being perfected. It's all about God and it's absolutely nothing about you. But you know what is a blessing about that? I can rest. I can relax. I can say, God, it is about you. I don't have to stress. Because if I blow it, I come to God and say, God, you know what? I blow it. And he goes, yeah, I know. Well, God, I'm sorry. Yeah. Will you forgive me? I already did. What's my next step? I'll show you. Are you ready to go? Yeah. Okay, now let's get up and go. Well, my kids and my grandkids blow it. I don't remind them of their failure. I encourage them to become better. God doesn't remind us of our failures. He draws us and encourages us to be better. Why? Because here's the amazing thing about God. He sees you already perfect even though you don't feel like it. He sees the end result because He's God. And so as He sees the end result, He's moving you towards that end result. Which is, brings about the hope. The hope is basically a prayer. When Paul said in verse 9 through 11 says, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in all knowledge and discernment. His prayer was hope. That Philippi would just not live, but that they would enjoy an excellent life. The, the word that there is a hint of cause, it's purpose. And he's saying, I pray that you would learn more and more. Okay. So what, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, look it, I am praying that as you experience the gospel and the grace of God and, and my love for you, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge. Question. Does the world lie to you? The world definitely lies. The world tells you you can't. The world tells you that you're a failure. The world tells you all kinds of lies and deceptions. They tell you false truths. Satan is the father of lies. And he wants to create these deceptions. And Paul says, I want you to learn how to love more and more in real knowledge and discernment that you may approve the things. How do I know I'm being changed? How do you know somebody is actually being changed by God? Give you one way. Guaranteed. You want to know how someone's being changed? Look at how they love selflessly. 
Because the transformation is being changed to become like Jesus, who Jesus gave himself selflessly for others. You want to see somebody change? You'll know the work of God because they'll become less of them and more like Jesus. Selflessly living. Will they blow it from time to time? Yeah. But if the trajectory is for others first and themselves last, you can see the work of God doing it. And how does that happen? How does a person learn to love more? Is it an emotion? No. It's a decision. And it says, and Paul says, based on knowledge, real knowledge and discernment. You want to know how to be more like Jesus? Study God's Word. Study Jesus. How do I become like Jesus? Study and learn Jesus. What would Jesus do to a woman that was caught in the act of adultery? He wouldn't accuse her, but forgive her. What would he do to the leper that was cast out? He would show love. What would he do for the people that were hungry? Feed them. What would he do for the people that were made to feel less than? Encourage them. You'll know God's word changing you because you'll be changed to, to, to love like Jesus loved sacrificially. And growing love is something that has to be nurtured. And it's nurtured by the Word of God. We don't love by nature in ourselves because self wants to love self. We learn to love others because we tap into the Word of God and apply the Word of God so that we can love others the way that God loves. And the more we know about God, the more we'll know about Jesus. It's interesting, that word knowledge there is an interesting word. It's epigenosis. And epi means upon. Gnosis means knowledge by experience. So here's how this word works. Super cool. So if you have an experience, it's experience upon experience upon experience upon experience. That's how you gain the knowledge. There's a different word that Paul could have used, and it would have been the wrong word. Oida, that's intellectual knowledge. How do you know love? Experience. You experience love. And you experience love by building love upon love upon love upon love. You keep building it. And so within that, Paul says, build upon that love until the fruit of righteousness or this right condition with God takes place. Why? Because there was divisions that were going on, false teachers that were coming in. Paul turns the corner a little bit past this introduction. And now he goes into joy. He's thankful because they are learning to love each other. And the Philippian church is loving upon loving upon loving. And they're growing. And I'm thankful for that. And the gospel is going out and you're loving people and all of that. And it's making him happy. This joy, verses 12 to 26 he says this, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment is the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trust in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some from the goodwill, and the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. 
The former proclaimed Christ out of the selfish ambition rather than pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only in that every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed in this, and I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectations and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now be, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul turns and, he's, and he transitions from praying for the church to expressing this, this joy. Can I have joy in bad circumstances? Absolutely you can. Because joy is a decision. It's a perspective. It's not an emotion. Paul could have wallowed in self-pity, couldn't he? Woe is me. I'm in a Roman jail. Away from all of my friends. Can't leave the guard. Nero's going to have me killed. What am I going to do? I'm an evangelist. I got one guy to talk to. You know what Paul did? Oh boy. This guard can't go anywhere. And I get a new one every six hours. You know what's going to happen? Oh, I'm going to start evangelizing because he has to sit and listen to it. And Paul did. Paul evangelized to the point that the whole Praetorian Guard, and mind you, the Praetorian Guard was not a normal set of soldiers. They were the elite. It would... It would they were the top guns. They were the, the, the top drawer soldiers. <clears throat> and he says, because of this opportunity, the whole Praetorian Guard is coming to faith. What did Paul do? He chose to have joy in the circumstance and take a look at the opportunity to find that he, he endured riots, threats on his life, imprisonment, shipwrecks, and he always chose joy. Epaphrodites would bring Paul the concerns of the church of Philippi and, and he would write the letter to calm their anxiety. But what he would say is, look it, it doesn't matter how bad you think it is in Philippi. It's bad here. But even though it got a worse here, I'm choosing joy. What does that tell us? We can have joy. I know a guy, I know a number of people, but I know, I know a guy that has cancer. And he was told about three weeks ago, that there is no more treatment. But for the last many years, you know what he's done? He shared the gospel with everybody that was giving him infusions or treating him in the hospital or dealing with his infections. And if you ask him the question, how are you doing? You know what his response is? Better than I deserve. I know a gal who has been getting for many years magnesium infusions. Three times a week, six to eight hours. And what does she do? She goes and she sits and with her friend would make hats for babies and knit things and show love and show joy. I know a guy whose lungs are turning to leather. Maximum oxygen. You know what he chooses to do? To get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and come down and teach a Bible study for a group of men. That's not dying. That's living. Regardless of the circumstances, that's there. 
and choosing joy in these in these situations. It's a decision. It's not a, a, an emotion. And what is it? Paul says it's for the progression of the gospel. Why? Because he saw the need for other people to to leave hell and to go to heaven and to move the gospel forward. Regardless of the circumstances that you're in, and, and I know people that are in bad ones. You can wallow, you can moan and you complain. Or you can change your attitude and say, I'm going to choose joy and I'm going to make my life matter for the gospel's sake. To share the gospel in difficult circumstances has a purpose within this. And Jesus said that being a Christian was going to be hard. Luke 21, 12 to 3. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you. They will persecute you, deliver you to the synagogues and prisons, bring you before kings, governors for my name. And notice, it will lead for an opportunity for you to testify. Wait a minute. I got to suffer to be a good witness? Yep. Because in your suffering, your attitude is your witness. It's how you share. In those difficulties, Hudson Taylor, missionary to China, said this. It doesn't matter where he places me or how. That is rather for him to consider that for me. For the easiest positions, he must give grace. And in the most difficult, his grace is sufficient. So if God places me in great perplexity, must he not give me great guidance? In positions of great difficulties, much grace? In circumstances of great pressure and trial, much strength? And as to work, it's mine. It was never so plentiful, responsible, so difficult. But the weight and the strain are all gone. Why? His resources are mine. When you say you can't, what you're saying is, God, you can't. That's not my God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Within this. So Paul sought the positive outcome. If I'm going to be in prison, this is my mission field. And I'm going to make it the best mission field I can. Wherever I'm at. Share the gospel with the right perspective. Because he considered himself, note, a prisoner of Christ. Not a prisoner of Rome, a prisoner of Christ. So he goes from being a bondservant of Christ, right, controlled by Christ, to now being a prisoner of Christ in this Roman prison. As he says, as he said earlier, or say in one. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, within this. There is a thing called gospel synergy. Gospel synergy happens when people become emboldened to share the gospel. It empowers others to join the work. There's other kinds of synergies that happen. There's all these social synergies, these mobs, these riots and all this. Can you imagine what it would be like if the church would be so emboldened to share the gospel as those who were committing riots in Portland? And the amount of energy that would go on? To be able to love others, if the church would love with reckless abandon of other people and sharing the gospel. Our houselessness and homelessness would go away. Our drug addiction problem would be minimalized. Would it all be perfect? No, because we don't live in a perfect world. But there would be people that know that they are loved and that they are cared for and God has a plan for them. 
That was Paul's desire. He wanted to stir up the affection of the church of Philippi and to preach the gospel. He goes on and he says, well, what then? How does this affection move? Christ, Christ be proclaimed within this. His goal in every aspect, pretense or truth, Christ be proclaimed. There were some people that came to Paul in the letter when, when he was told. He says, well, there's some people that are not of the church and, and, and they, want to be, they want to proclaim God. They want to proclaim Jesus and make money off of it. Paul's comment is, are they teaching the truth about the gospel? Yeah, but they're making money on it. You know what Paul said? I don't care. I don't care. As long as the gospel is being preached with clarity and truth, it's up to God to do with it the results. He'll deal with them on, on their selfish ambition. We get into partisanism. Well, what church do you go to? I go to this church. What church do you go to? I go to that church. I go to the church of what's happening now. I go to the church of, of, of glitz and glamour. I go to the church of, of, of hymns and pianos and organs and suits and ties and all of this stuff. And we get all wrapped around the axle. Is the gospel being preached? The pure gospel being preached in a church that plays hymns? And is it any less valuable than a church that has a worship band? It's about the gospel. And Paul, sitting in his prison cell, says, as long as the gospel is being preached, that is the goal. Because it's the gospel that saves. And Paul says, look, it, they need to have these pure motives true. But even if their motives aren't pure, the preaching of the gospel still is the preaching. When? In all circumstances, we should preach the gospel. Many years ago, many years ago now, a really good friend from the first church I served, uh, Debbie, has a son that grew up in my children's ministry, Clinton. Now watch this. this. This kid was a hellion. Debbie was a hellion. Debbie, Debbie rode with a motorcycle gang. Uh, before she got saved, she, she actually rebuilt her Harley in her apartment, inside the apartment. She was tough. At her baptism down at Pirate's Cove down on the beach, we had, a, we had a guy that was doing underwater photography. And I remember this distinctly. I was out there with Debbie, and she wanted to get baptized. Right? And she's freshly saved, like really freshly saved. And she's hardcore, you know, biker and, and, and all of that. And she's not a very big gal, but she comes out. So we pray, and, and, and I baptize her. She comes out of the water, and she goes, praise Jesus. And she looks over. And there's this guy with this like underwater camera. She goes, you, and she said a couple of words. And she was ready to clock this guy. I said, no, Debbie, don't. He's taking pictures for the church. It's okay. Single mom, raising Clinton. Clinton was high energy, all boy. Clinton grows up, and he was in his mid-twenties. And he, Clinton had come to faith and got in a bad car accident on the 91 freeway down in Southern California. They rushed him to the trauma center at UCI. In the hospital, in the ED, and all his friends from high school were, were there with him, and, and they were in the room. You know what Debbie was doing? Sharing the gospel with all of those kids that were in that waiting room. 
while her son was dying in the emergency room. Why? She knew where her son was going to go. But she wasn't sure about all of his friends. You say, well, that's heartless. Oh, no. That's confidence. That is putting her confidence in the Lord. Within that. She lived a God-centered life because God radically changed her life. And when it came time for Clinton to take his last breath, she asked for prayer. and She'd go into her room, pray over her son, and said, I'll see you soon. Powerful. You think about that. How is it that someone can do that? Only in a God-centered, transformed life within that. She chose to share the gospel. And she chose to use the opportunity that God had given to her to share the gospel with people that didn't know who Jesus was. She chose hope. She chose to be focused. Job would say this in Job thirteen fifteen to 16. Though he may slay me, I, my hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. This also will be my salvation, for a godless man may not come before his presence. In other words, Job says, even if I die, I'm going to before, go before God and I'm going to have a conversation with him. Why? Because later in that same book, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Paul trusted in an immovable object, Jesus Christ. Foundation and the cornerstone for his faith. He trusted and was thankful for the one thing that he knew for sure. That he was united with Christ and the Philippians that were hundreds of miles away from him were also united with him in Christ. And he was thankful for that. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 it says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And in Romans 14 he says, For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. How can Paul be so bold in this Roman prison? Because his life only, it didn't, it didn't matter if I live for the Lord, it's great. I'm, I'm witnessing. And if they get mad and they kill me, I'm with the Lord. He was committed to fellowship, he was committed to discipleship, he was committed to being an example. He had a deep, deep inner struggle. In verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live in this flesh, to live on in the labor of flesh, it will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions. Having the desire to part and be with Christ, that's much better. Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress in joy and faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Paul basically says, I'm not done until God says I'm done. I want to be done. But I know that I'm not done yet. And if I'm not done yet, God says I'm not done yet, so I'm here for you. What an amazing perspective to have that confidence 
to live as Christ, as long as I'm in this flesh, I need to reflect Jesus. But to die is gain. When I shed this, man, I get the reward within this. The world's view is opposite. To live is to gain and to die is loss. But not for the believer. And Paul was torn. His heart wanted to be in heaven. But his body was here. So he needed to choose. What did he choose? He chose to stay in love. He chose to stay and have impact. He chose to see people come to faith. You know, and again, some of these older people, 100 volunteers for VBS. You know, a majority of those volunteers are, are seniors, people that are retired. They could go on a cruise. They could go like wherever the older people go. I don't know where they go. I know. <laughs> well, you come in two weeks and you watch these people. And they will complain about being tired. And they will complain about being sore. And are we done yet? And these kids, they have no respect. But they turn around and they come again. Why? Because that's the next generation of the church. That's who we need to pour our life into. And Paul was convinced as long as he's around, that was his role. That the gospel needed to grow and continue to save lives. That he needed to continue for the progress of others. I can tell you this. If you're breathing, God's not done with you yet. There is no retirement. You won't find retirement in the Bible. No such thing as retirement. So if that's true, find your ministry and do it. For the sake of the gospel. For the growth. Paul's joy would come from the progress of the gospel through the church of Philippi. Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. I don't know if we have any great-greats in here. But pour your life into the next generation of kids. Pour your life into young people. Give them what they need. The support. Prayer. Are you praying for them? Are you, are you encouraging them in the Lord? Because if you're still living as a believer, you're not dying. And you'll find great joy meeting tomorrow with a granddaughter of someone that goes to our church that had left a faith system that was false and has become a missionary. And their, <laughs> their grandparents are so proud to be able to do that. Or to be able to watch your kids grow up and marry in the Lord. A son that would marry a, a godly woman or a daughter that would marry a godly man. And as a parent or a grandparent, you would have joy. That doesn't happen overnight. It's the progression of the gospel that's embedded regularly and intentionally. Paul is doing that with a letter from a jail cell. We'll continue with that jail cell letter next week. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to come before you and, and to see that in Paul's writing, he's giving us this, these marching orders and how to live with joy and thanksgiving. Father, as he looks at, at the church of Philippi and he's so excited about what's going on, wishing to be there with him, but he can't 
So he's writing words of encouragement. Words of edification to build them up. Lord, I pray for those that are here tonight and those that are watching online. May they find their place in the body on how they could build up others for the progression of the gospel, for people's lives to be changed, for the next generation, for the kids that come through these doors and many other churches this summer for Vacation Bible School. May we see, Lord, if you tarry, the next generation in the church do amazing things. And may the gospel grow. We pray for that revival. And the revival begins with us. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All my words fall short I've got nothing new How could I express All my gratitude I could sing these songs As I often do Every song must end, and you never do. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. And I know it's not much. But I'm nothing else fit for a king Except for a heart singing Hallelujah Hallelujah I've got one response I've got just one with my arms stretched wide, I will worship you. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a Nothing else fit for a king Except for a heart singing Hallelujah Hallelujah So I throw up my hands And praise you again and again Cause all that I have is a Nothing else fit for a king Except for a heart singing
for you are a good God. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Praise Jesus. Have a great rest of your week. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scapoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.